everyone. Welcome back to Let's Talk Physical Media. My name is John, and this is the show where every single week we meet here on Sunday and we talk about our favorite things, physical media and movies and whatever else you guys want to talk about this week. And we don't have too much news this week, but we got plenty of questions to answer, so we got a packed show for you guys, and we're going to start it off like we do every single Sunday with the news. And like I said, there wasn't too much news this week, but one big thing that got announced was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs is coming to 4K Blu-ray on October 10th. And they even released a nice looking screenshot with it, so you can see that they definitely put some work in on this restoration. It's the first time it's ever come to 4K Blu-ray. And you know, I've been pretty hard on Disney in the past, especially with their physical releases. But just when I thought they couldn't get any worse... They totally redeemed themselves, and The Nightmare Before Christmas that came out last week on 4K Blu-ray was absolutely beautiful. They really sprung for all the bells and whistles with it. Was it the greatest 4K I ever saw? No. Was it the greatest upgrade to 4K I ever saw? Also no, but it was a really solid release, and they recently brought back the IMAX enhanced scenes with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, so you don't have to pay for Disney Plus to get the IMAX enhanced scenes and Dolby Vision. So it's really cool to see them concentrating on physical media again. Last week announcing that they're bringing the Disney Plus shows to physical media. Prey is coming to 4K. So maybe they really are taking physical media a little bit more seriously. And on the other hand, though, they are still pulling stuff out of Australia and not releasing movies there physically anymore. I guess they're really just testing the waters with what they want to do. Or maybe they're just trying to concentrate on certain markets. Because we do know international markets are going to get the physical releases of the Disney Plus shows and Prey, even if they haven't announced an official release date yet. But we do know they are coming to international markets, except for those markets that aren't releasing Disney films physically anymore, which is disappointing. But this movie, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, one of Disney's most famous projects, is getting the beautiful 4K treatment. And it's done by the same people who did Cinderella's recent 4K release, which is apparently one of the best-looking restorations that they have released of their classic animated films. I haven't gotten my hands on it yet, but I definitely want to get a look at that before Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs comes to 4K. I'm really glad that they're really finally concentrating on restoring these classic animated films. I had heard that Cinderella's best release was actually the DVD release, and they kind of butchered it with their restoration for the Blu-ray. But then I heard that they kind of redeemed themselves with the brand new 4K for Cinderella. So I'm really happy to report that Disney does seem to be concentrating on physical media a little bit more, even if they're still doing a terrible job with their striking employees on the WGA side and on the SAG side, because they also just recently announced that they're raising their price of Disney Plus now to $14.99 a month. So Disney Plus has doubled in price since its original release back in the day with $7.99 a month, and they have pretty much doubled. It's their second price hike this year, and unfortunately, I actually had to make the choice to cancel Disney Plus, which really did upset me because I do still like having it just in case I want to go watch like a classic Disney film that I don't own physically but now that just really has pushed me now to finally start buying all the movies that I don't own physically from Disney on Blu-ray or 4k just because I cannot justify paying $15 a month really just to support them putting out mediocre at best MCU shows yes very sad Anyway, a mediocre at best Star Wars shows. Now, I haven't seen Ahsoka yet. I've heard some good things, and I've heard some bad things, which is kind of right in line with most Disney Plus shows. They really came out of the gate hard with shows like Loki and WandaVision, but they just kind of started to stumble a little bit as of late, and I think they just watered down the market too, too much, and now you're going to raise the price when you don't even have enough time to give your SAG actors or your WGA writers a fair contract, and your CEO is making $27 million a deal. It's 
just bad business practice. It's bad for the consumer. It's bad for your employees. It's just a bad look in general. And I'm hoping that Disney and Warner Brothers, Paramount, Universal, all the other big studios come to their senses and realize that just in general, you guys are looking really bad here. It's just more rich people lording over the working class people and just expecting you to bend your knee to them. Bend the knee or suffer the fate of all traitors. Because they give you the grace of allowing you to work for them. It's very frustrating. I actually saw Adam Driver uh, call out studios like Amazon and Apple in the sense that a studio like Neon or A24 will give all these workers all the money that they need and they have much, much lower budgets. So he's asking the question, where is all that money going? And I have a feeling all that money is going to pay all those CEOs and all the big shots at the top of the tower who really don't care about the workers. They just care about the bottom line and making sure that everything looks good to the shareholders, even if they have to manipulate those numbers a little bit because Disney is also being sued by a bunch of their shareholders for manipulating the costs of what Disney Plus actually costs. They kind of hid the numbers in the Disney Channel or in their physical releases just to cover up how much it costs, just because then they can spin it and say, ah, you know, it's earning money. It didn't cost that much to start up, but it really did, and that's kind of another shady business practice. I'm just glad we live in the age now where we can call out these big-time big shots because they're just taking advantage of the working-class people, and that's one thing that I just absolutely can't stand. But for the consumer out there, we are getting Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs on 4K, and it looks like it's going to be a great restoration, so enough negative talk and let's talk about another movie coming to 4k blu-ray and that was just recently announced coming out on november 14th from sony pictures releasing a steelbook we're going to be getting rudy on 4k the ultimate underdog story showing sean astin john favreau and vince vaughn ned Beatty, amongst many other people in this movie it is a fantastic film that I don't love. I gotta be honest with you guys. It's one of those sports movies that everybody seems to love. I've never really enjoyed it. If I watch college football, I am a Notre Dame fan. My dad's a huge Notre Dame fan. And I've always enjoyed them, but I've also heard that this story is extremely over-exaggerated, which is to be understood. Most movies do over-exaggerate true stories. You know, we gotta make them feel big for the big screen. They gotta feel like something you can get emotionally invested in. If you're just talking about a guy who just went out there for one play... Might not be that interesting, but if you have him save the day, everyone puts him on his shoulders and carries him out, now that's a big-time Hollywood story, and this was a big-time Hollywood story. People still love Rudy, but I can't say that I really do, but it is awesome that it's getting a 4K steelbook. Sony is always one of the best when it comes to 4K restorations from major studios, so I can imagine that this will look absolutely gorgeous when you get your hands on it. Now, I'm not personally looking forward to it. If you guys want me to review it, maybe I'll review it. But I'm just not personally excited for this one. It's not one of my favorite movies. It's not one of my favorite sports movies. It's not even one of my favorite football movies. Now, football doesn't lend itself as much to the film as much as baseball does. But football still has some good films in there. I'm looking at movies like The Longest Yard, both Longest Yard movies. I also am a big fan of The Replacements. That movie is very underrated. Gene Hackman and Keanu Reeves. So there are some really good football movies out there. But I feel like Rudy is the one that gets talked about the most. And I just think that movie is pretty overrated. And then the last bit of news we got this week was from Arrow Video. You guys might remember that Black Hat, directed by Michael Mann, got announced for a 4K Blu-ray that was originally supposed to come out in June, I believe. And then they delayed it until September. And now they have delayed it until November 20th, I want to say. And the reason is really good, actually. So... Michael Mann released Black Hat. It had very underwhelming reviews. It starred Chris Hemsworth. A lot of people put it pretty low on the Michael Mann films list. I've actually never seen it, so I can't comment whether it's good or bad or not. But I do want to see it, and I was very much looking forward to this Arrow Video 4K. Now, they were able to get their hands on the very underseen, as they put it, never released on home video 
the director's cut of Black Hat, and that's what people were asking for, and that's why they originally delayed it. So they were able to get their hands on that, so not only are we going to get a 4K restoration of the original theatrical cut, but we are also going to receive on a separate Blu-ray disc the director's cut, which is awesome for people who are fans of this movie, or for people like me who have never seen the movie. Now you could probably see it a lot more fleshed out, because apparently that's one of the big flaws of Black Hat is that the plot and story may be a little bit incoherent and Chris Hemsworth may be miscast. Now again, I can't comment for sure because I haven't seen it myself, but I am very interested to see it. I am a big Michael Mann fan. Michael Mann has another film coming out this year, Ferrari starring Adam Driver, that I'm really excited about. Definitely can't wait to see that one. You know, we're getting a lot of good movies coming out this year from big time directors that I personally really enjoy. David Fincher's The Killer starring Michael Fassbender is coming out this year as well on Netflix. Absolutely can't wait for that. Got its first trailer this week. And, you know, getting Black Hat on 4K towards the end of the year. I'm just really happy that Arrow Video is so upfront about this. Releasing a press release. That is just great customer service. Just keeping you up to date what's going on. I would always rather a studio release it in the best condition possible. With no mistakes, nothing. MVD did this earlier in the year with Rain Man. They delayed it because people were complaining that it didn't have any HDR on it, whether it be HDR10 or Dolby Vision. So they delayed it. And you know what they did? They put HDR10 and Dolby Vision over it. Came out, and it's a great 4K Blu-ray disc. I'd rather these studios take as much time as they need and give us an amazing restoration than release something just to get it out there, just to collect their money in time for the holidays or collect their money for the next quarter report. It's really nice to see a studio like Arrow Video putting the consumer first taking the extra time that they need to release a 4k that is definitely going to live up to their standards and to the standards that the consumer would expect so i have to really call out arrow video for that because i really do think that that is just awesome customer service and i will probably support them and pick up black hat because i do want to have that and i own most of michael mann's movies and i've never really been too disappointed by them obviously he's got some stinkers in there but not really anything absolutely atrocious. One thing about Michael Mann that you can always guarantee is that it's a well-made movie. I'm mainly looking at the movie Public Enemies, to be honest. I just don't really like that movie either. So thank you very much, Arrow Video, for doing that. Definitely appreciate that. Especially if you guys are video game players. You might know that video games nowadays, they just get released digitally pretty much. Alan Wake 2 is coming to digital only, not coming to physical, which is crazy because the first Alan Wake had one of the best collector's editions Ever. It looked like an actual book because the main character, Alan Wake, is a writer. This beautiful collector's edition, my god, probably the best ever. And now Alan Wake 2 will not even get a physical video game release. It's only going to be released exclusively on digital. Now, there are third-party physical video game makers out there that will probably print the disc themselves, have their exclusive packaging. But it's very disappointing to see the studio themselves not release this physically and just concentrate on digitally because they do not adjust the price for that it's still going to cost the same as if they released it physically or not so they're not adjusting for the consumer they're just there to actually get more of a bottom line and i understand that because video games do cost a lot of money to make but it's just disappointing that you know you could buy it physically for the same price instead they now they're scrapping that completely and now you can only buy it digitally so you'll never have a physical release unless you buy it through one of those third party sellers so it's just very disappointing especially in the world of video games now where video games get released digitally and they're almost never complete you got to expect a few patches for the game to really come together Move, games like cyberpunk 2077 madden every single year and this idiot right here buys madden every single year in just a terrible state where the game crashes is filled with bugs usually by like the end of september and october the game is consistent it is good and it ends up being like the same exact madden you've gotten every year for the last 10 years and yet somehow you're surprised that you're disappointed by it i don't know why 
but that's exactly what I do every single year, and it's just become a pattern for me. But Madden does calm me down, even if it does frustrate me that they put the bare minimum effort into it every single year EA Sports. So that's one thing that's a little bit disappointing. And that's just modern video game for you. They just release games in a broken state, and they fix them up and just hope that everyone moves on with their day. But I'm going to call you out for it because that is absolute garbage. So that's going to do it for this week in the news. So we're going to move on to this week's questions because we do have plenty of them this week. A lot of good ones, too. So we're going to dive right into those right now. And the first one is going to be from Tell Him Freddy Said And he said, what is your favorite year? For horror, and I'd have to go with 1984. That's the year that A Nightmare on Elm Street came out. That's also the year that The Terminator came out, which many people might not count as a horror film, but for me, that is 100% a horror sci-fi film. Gremlins came out that year, which is like a horror comedy, you know, really leaning into the Christmas aspect. We don't get too many Christmas horror films, especially ones that are as lighthearted as Gremlins, but it's still a little bit dark Gremlins. Watching a Gremlin get just blended up or watching them drink and smoke in that dirty bar... And also, that Santa Claus story about the girl's dad going down the chimney on Christmas to surprise them and getting stuck and dying. Absolutely horrible story and probably would ruin Christmas for everybody. You also got Ghostbusters that year. Another horror comedy. You know, kind of became a blockbuster and started a franchise, but there are plenty of horror aspects in that movie. I mean, we're dealing with ghosts here. You got a lot there. You also get Children of the Corn that year and Stephen King adaptation starring Linda Hamilton. So what a year for Linda Hamilton and her hair in 1984. Obviously, she's probably most known for the Terminator and don't even people don't even realize that she is in the original Children of the Corn, which is... Actually, a very underrated Stephen King film. I even like the remake that came out, but the original Children of the Corn is actually fantastic. You also get what is arguably the best Friday the 13th film, and Friday the 13th, the final chapter. That's the one that features Crispin Glover dancing around like an idiot. Um, and that's also the one where Corey Feldman cuts his hair off at the very end. The first time we see Tommy Jarvis, which would be the main story arc for the next three films, and is probably Jason's most known antagonist to him, but protagonist to us. I still think that Friday the 13th is probably the second best in the franchise. Definitely not the first best, but it is a very solid entry and was supposed to be the end. And we all know how that worked out. It wasn't the end spoiler alert so we get jason back eventually two movies later and we also got the toxic avenger that year the original toxic avenger from trauma and this one is actually one of my favorite movies to come out in the 1980s it's silly it's absurd it's over the top it's ridiculous it's got horrible effects and i absolutely love it it's so funny and we're supposed to be getting these on 4k pretty soon it was actually supposed to come out last week on 4k they didn't report it but it did get delayed and now it says that it's coming out at the end of september i've tried to reach out to troba and find out exactly what's going on and see if i can get my hands on that they haven't responded to me yet i understand that i'm not a big guy out here in the world of youtube but I still want to know what's going on because I do want to get those on 4K Blu-ray. And right now they're still going for about $99.99. It's a little hard for me to justify that just because I only like the first Toxic Avenger. I'm not a too big of a fan of the sequels. Although I haven't seen them in a very long time. So it's not really too fair for me to say that. Because again, it's not fair. That was recency bias. You know, I got enough time has passed. I got to check them out again. And the 4K Blu-rays, I'm sure, is the best way to do that. So I'm very curious to see how those turn out. So definitely 1984 is the best year of horror in my opinion. But right behind that, I have to go with 1996 because we got the Frighteners that year. We got the Craft. And then in December, we got Scream. 
Horror in the 90s really had a hangover from the 1980s with the slashers, and it just really couldn't gain its footing. It wasn't doing as good at the box office anymore. Movies were coming out, and they just really weren't successful. Horror kind of was on the back burner, and then in December of 1996, we got Scream, and everything changed. Horror was back on the map. It was really popular. In 1997, we got Scream 2, but in 1996, Scream saved horror. A meta-horror movie talking about all of the horror movie tropes. You couldn't have done better than that. And I also really appreciate The Frighteners. Probably my top 10 horror films also. Just because I'm a big horror fan. So I have a lot of horror movies floating around in my top 50. And The Frighteners is really high up on that list. And that came out in 1996 as well. And I'm not a huge fan of The Craft. But I know my wife is. And a bunch of other people really enjoy that movie. And it's really kind of like a stepsister almost to Scream. Coming out in the same year. Featuring a lot of the same cast. So I always think that's pretty pretty cool. I have to give 1996 my runner-up just because it really helped save the horror genre. And taking up the last spot of the podium, I'm going to have to go with 2018 because that was another successful year for horror. That's where we got Ari Aster's Hereditary, one of the best films to come out in the last 10 years, not just in the horror genre. We also got the reboot from David Gordon Green of the Halloween franchise, which started a great trilogy. Just Halloween Ends really did a terrible job there at the end, but Halloween and Halloween Kills, I think, are both great films. You also got Annihilation and Upgrade, which are combining sci-fi and horror, which I always love a good sci-fi horror film. And you got Mandy. People really love Mandy. I loved it the first time I saw it. I bought the Steelbook last year, I think. I rewatched it, and I was like, I think I rated this a little bit too high. Mandy definitely goes for it and has some fantastic acting by Nicolas Cage. The scene on the toilet with the vodka is just insane, and only Nicolas Cage could probably pull a scene like that off. But the rest of the movie... You know, it's a, it's a little bit of a hit or miss. It's definitely beautifully shot, but I think I overrated it a little bit back in 2018. But either way, it's got its fans, and 2018 is definitely one of the more recent great years in horror. That's really when A24 started to take off and become that horror studio that we know today. Well, they're not, they don't even just do horror anymore, but that's what really put them on the map is those highbrow horror films. But now they just do a bunch of great films giving money to some amazing directors who might not get the chance at the major studios, but they put out some beautiful movies, whether it be how they're shot, the stories that they're telling, just incredible work over there at A24. And I really think in 2018, that's where people really started to take notice of their work. And the first Kevin L question is, what are your top five suburbs for movies since you have been alive? Well, number one, I have to go with 2008. That's the year The Dark Knight came out. That's the year Step Brothers came out. That summer really meant a lot to me. I was 16 years old. That was the last summer before I got a job. I actually got my first job very much. Well, I had other jobs, but like my first real like big boy job it was I got it in the fall of 2008 so that summer was like my real last summer off of work I got to be a kid still I got to go to the movies whenever I wanted I saw the dark night nine times in theaters that summer I saw Step Brothers in theaters three times I just had a blast that summer going to the movies every single week with my friends seeing as many movies as I can and I just have so many distinct memories of that summer it was like the it was like the last gasp of my childhood you know the next summer I'd have to work I'd have to start doing what I do now, you know, arranging my schedule around my job. So back then, though, I could just go to the movies in the middle of the day and see as many movies in one day as I wanted to, hang out with my friends. I, it was just a special time for me. So 2008 would go to number one. Might not have had the best movies in comparison. Yes, The Dark Knight is a major, major hit. That summer just meant more to me, I would say. And at number two, I got 1999. There was a lot of great movies that came out in the summer of 1999. So 
you know, the big one, obviously, that year was Star Wars, The Phantom Menace, the return of the Star Wars franchise. People were excited. I mean, that was obviously the highest grossing film of 1999. People could not wait for it. They were disappointed for sure by it. I'm still pretty disappointed by it. I know Matt, who saw it that summer, he loves that movie. It's actually one of his fondest memories is seeing that movie in theaters. For me, I can't say that. I'm not the biggest fan of Star Wars Episode One or Episode Two. I think that this trilogy really didn't start getting on their feet until the third movie, which is a shame because that's when the trilogy ended. But Star Wars Episode Three is by far the best of them. But Episode One was the biggest one that summer. You also had Wild Wild West, Will Smith's first bomb. That movie was supposed to be a big hit. Will Smith was known for dominating 4th of July weekend, and this one was supposed to be another big one. You know who loves Wild Wild West, though? This guy loves Wild Wild West. I love that movie. I burned the hell out of that VHS. I have it ingrained in my memory. It's just one of those movies that I really liked. Will Smith, Kevin Kline, Kenneth Branagh as the villain. I mean, that movie is actually very enjoyable. It's just, you know, obviously it's nowhere near as good as Independence Day or Bad Boys or Men in Black. But I feel like it's still a fun, good movie. It's nothing that's too offensive. I know people really hate that movie, but I really enjoyed it. That summer we also got Tarzan. The forgotten Disney classic of the 1990s. I just think that's because it gets overshadowed by the incredible Phil Collins soundtrack for Tarzan. Which is definitely better than the movie. But still, I think that movie is enjoyable. And definitely that Phil Collins soundtrack does help to move it along. We also got The Mummy that summer. Not the original Mummy, but the first Brendan Fraser Mummy, which a lot of people around my age absolutely love love that franchise even love the scorpion king with its horrible cgi and we also got big daddy that summer that's an adam sandler classic in my opinion i have a very distinct memory of going to see that movie with my brother my mom and my aunt we had a great time still quote that movie to this day it's one of those forgotten Adam Sandler movies, I think. But, and that's, I think, the first time that a lot of us heard about Scuba Steve. And then at number three, I have 2003. And this one featured Finding Nemo as a big Pixar fan growing up. Finding Nemo was a big deal when it came out. And then if you were in school in 2003, every teacher wanted to make sure when they had a day off that they could put a movie on, they put Finding Nemo on. So I saw Finding Nemo a lot growing up. Also, I had very young siblings around the ages of one and two. And they also loved watching Finding Nemo. So that movie was ingrained in my memory and i did see it in theaters in 2003 you also had the matrix reloaded i think that movie is very underrated it's probably the second best matrix film i think it's actually pretty good in my opinion it's nothing compared to the original matrix movies the original matrix movie is like a 10 out of 10 reloaded is probably like a 7.5 out of 10 and then they really drop off hard with the next two which is a shame because they filmed matrix reloaded and matrix what is it resolutions at the exact same time so we only had a few months after this one came out for us to get ready for the third one and people were really disappointed by this one and it shows in the box office and they took years off the franchise before we got the fourth film two years ago which was also extremely bad so that's very unfortunate but i actually think reloaded was a very good time i enjoyed that movie i went to the theater with my stepdad we saw Matrix Reloaded. The rest of my family, I think, saw Daddy Daycare that day. But we really enjoyed Matrix Reloaded. That highway scene does still hold up. It's just, you know, obviously, if you're comparing it to one of the greatest sci-fi films of all time, it's not going to be remembered as well. 
And then you also got a bunch of great sequels in there. You got X2, X-Men United. People forget that movie was a big deal. I remember people in school being so excited for this one. T3, I was excited for that one. Even if T3 didn't live up to what Terminator 1 and Terminator 2 did, I still really enjoyed Terminator 3 at the time. Obviously, looking back on it, I don't love it as much, but I still love that they went for it at the end, showing us Judgment Day. You know, we really didn't expect that, especially at the end of T2. They delayed it. Actually, very recently, guys, August 29th, anniversary of Judgment Day just passed. But they delayed that in that movie to 2003. That was the whole point of the movie was uh, you guys didn't actually stop it. You just delayed it. And then it turns out at the very end, it's inevitable. You can't stop it. And I actually really love that they went for that at the very end of that movie. That's by far the best part of that movie. But at the time, I loved it, just like many other movies. And we also got Bad Boys 2 that summer, Too Fast, Too Furious. John Singleton just made a fun Fast and Furious movie. I think that's a top five film in the franchise. He went for it. He just wanted to make a fun movie, and I think he succeeded at it. We also got Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl started a franchise right there. That's the first time any of us saw Johnny Depp as Jack Sparrow. And what a movie that was. Another movie that I saw a thousand times after that in school because everyone was really excited to show a PG-13 Disney movie in school. I remember I was 12. I had to get a parent's signature for it just to watch it in the auditorium. That movie was a huge deal. Started the franchise. I actually have a very distinct memory of the next film, Dead Man's Chest, seeing it in Vegas in a movie theater there. I always really liked the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, and I think Curse of the Black Pearl is the best, so 2003 was a good summer. At number four, I got 2005, and really it's for one distinct day that summer. There's a local theater by me called PJ Cinemas. I went there with Matt back in 2005. We bought tickets to see The Longest Yard. The, the Longest Yard sold out, so we had to wait like five hours to the next screening that didn't have a sellout, so we went and actually saw Star Wars Episode Three. Madagascar, then we saw the Longest Yard remake, which is underrated in my opinion as well. Good Adam Sandler movie, actually brings back Burt Reynolds. Not playing the same role, I'm pretty sure, but Burt Reynolds is in the remake of The Longest Yard, and I really did enjoy that movie, so that one day really made that summer, but we also got so many other great movies that summer. We got War of the Worlds, Batman Begins, which I'm still embarrassed about that I didn't see in theaters that summer because I kind of blew it off. As a huge Batman fan, I am embarrassed about that, but you guys gotta remember, Batman wasn't in the best state in 2005. I didn't know who Christopher Nolan was. I was only 13 years old. I hadn't seen Memento or Insomnia, and definitely hadn't even heard of the movie following, so there was no way I really cared about that. I just remember my stepdad's brother telling me that, yo, the villain is gonna be the Scarecrow. You know that? That's gonna be an awesome movie. They're getting Christian Bale to be Batman. I never heard of Christian Bale, so I kind of blew it off. I was like, ah, Batman and Robin was horrible, so I I don't want to see this. And sure enough, I had to wait when it came out on DVD. I was more than happy to eat crow on that one. And Batman Begins is now my second favorite Batman film. I could have saw it in theaters in 2005, but I was an idiot and I didn't. But I'll tell you what. You know what I did see in theaters in 2005 in the summer? Fantastic Four. Yeah, I made the wrong choice. So then at number five, I got 2014. And that's another one for a big movie that, that kind of saved me and my love for the MCU. And that was Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't really love the first Avengers film. I actually find it to be very disappointing. Uh, I liked it when I saw it in theaters. Then I remember I bought the DVD. I watched it at home. I was like, this movie is not that good at all. So I kind of fell off the MCU. Luckily, James Gunn's Guardians of the Galaxy, my buddy Alex, my wife, they dragged me to the theater to go see this one. And I'm glad they did because that... From that point all the way through Endgame, I was locked in on the MCU. Had to be their day one for the movie. It really, like, revamped my love for the MCU. I really, I, I'm telling you, like, I loved it at the very beginning, and then I just kind of fell off. Because the Avengers, I felt like, was a real letdown to me personally. 
But then the Guardians of the Galaxy brought me right back. That's why I'm so excited to see what James Gunn does with the DCEU because I absolutely love his movies. I think they have a certain tone that just speaks to me personally. Like, I think The Suicide Squad is still probably the best DC movie to come out that isn't called Batman, in my opinion. So that movie is a root. Just, I just like his tone. I mean, it's... Fake mustache. You still look exactly like yourself. Worst fake mustache I've ever seen. Very dark sense of humor. I get that doesn't work for everybody, but that works for me. And Guardians of the Galaxy really just... I remember sitting in that theater with a shit-eating grin on my face and just stuffing my face full of popcorn, seeing Chris Pratt, not fat anymore, just putting on a show, and I was like, I love this movie. I, this is one of the best movies I have ever seen from the comic book genre. But we also got the best X-Men movie that summer. We also got Days of Future Past, which I think is a fantastic film. They obviously dropped the ball with the next one with Apocalypse, which I think is a little bit underrated, I'll be honest. The best Planet of the Apes movie that year with Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, 22 Jump Street, a sequel to 21 Jump Street, which was a very underrated comedy hit that nobody saw coming. Uh, and plus the end credits, the 22 Jump Street, going through all the possible sequels. That is fantastic. And I think a lot of us wanted to get that. There was that rumor we were going to get a Men in Black 21 Jump Street crossover. I would have been game for that. Instead, we get Men in Black International, which I think came out the summer of 2014, if I'm correct. That movie is horrible. Oh, no, it wasn't 2014. It was 2019? Whatever. Men in Black International should not be seen. It's a very bad movie. It does a disservice to the men in black name and we also got edge of tomorrow and neighbors that summer guys remember back in 2014 we were still getting comedies released in theaters we don't get that much anymore and if they do get released in theaters they're usually a failure because nobody goes to see them so back in 2014 we were still really riding high on comedies and theaters and edge of tomorrow is a fantastic movie i don't want to blow past that we've been waiting for that sequel for now almost 10 years and i'm really starting to believe it's not going to happen but tom cruise isn't human so he could probably make a sequel in 20 years and look exactly the same so that was a great question kevin i really do appreciate that and on to our next question if you can control any movie character or actor for a day like a puppet like the movie being john malkovich who would you pick and what would you do? So if I could choose a person to be for a day, I want to choose Jack Nicholson from either the late 70s or the early 80s and just see what a day in the life of him is. Who's he going to see? Is he hanging out with Angelica Houston? How much drugs is he doing? How much is he drinking? How much fun is this guy having? Because that's one thing about Jack Nicholson that everyone always talks about. The guy was just a party animal, but he was always the life of the party. I love to look up videos of people telling Jack Nicholson stories. Like I went down a rabbit hole couple months ago of just watching Kevin Pollack do interviews about Jack Nicholson on A Few Good Men, and I loved it. Had a great time watching all those videos. I mean, Jack Nicholson's just one of those guys. He tells there's just so many great stories. Michael Keaton tells great stories about him. So I would just love to spend a day in Jack Nicholson's mind. If I had to pick a character, I would pick a Prince Akeem from Coming to America before he goes to Queens. I've been to Queens. My mom is from Queens. I don't need to go back to Queens. I want to go be him back before he leaves Zamunda. That's where it's, it's the best. You know, that's where they're cleaning the royal penis. They're waiting on him hand and foot he's having a great time he's not happy but he's having a great time that's just because he's never lived in the real world with the rest of us he's used to being pampered he's used to walking around the grounds with elephants and giraffes but i would really love to spend a day with him hang out with james earl jones and arsenio hall and just you know do what rich people do for a day but princes do i can't even imagine so that's who i would pick as a character who i'd want to spend a day in the life of if i had my choice and kevin else next question speaking right to my heart he said what are your favorite chris far 
Farley SNL skits. Chris Farley is probably my favorite Saturday Night Live actor of all time, just because he was hysterical, and he was surrounded by plenty of other great actors just before Will Ferrell came on there, but he was on there with Mike Myers, Chris Rock, David Spade, Adam Sandler, and yet he still stole the show from all of them. And his best skit, in my opinion, is the Chip and Dale skit with him and Patrick Swayze. Obviously, Chris Farley, everybody can tell, a very heavy set man. Patrick Swayze, on the other hand, one of the best-looking men you've ever seen. That gorgeous blonde mold that he had working on. So, of course, who do you think is the better Chippendales dancer? Well, it turns out, Chris Farley, he can dance his ass off. And as Patrick Swayze puts it in the skit, the only reason you would pick me over him is just because his body is just so bad. So that was his best skit, in my opinion. But he had plenty of other great skits. I love the hidden camera skits when they give him, I think it was either Folgers or Maxwell Coffee House, but they give him like decaffeinated coffee crystals. And they think, oh, he's going to react positively because it tasted the same. And he's like, what? You lied to me. And he starts flipping out. You son of a bitch. You no good. There's a guy hitting him over the head with a frying pan. And then they interview him a couple weeks later. He's all beaten up and shit. And he's like, they ask him like, how do you feel? And he's like, angry like that's a classic one you also get the classic skip where he has his own talk show he's interviewing paul mccartney and he's like hey uh you know he's just a terrible interviewer and he's like hey uh you remember when you uh when you were with the beatles and he paul mccartney's like yeah (laughs) wow that was great and chris farley is just great because chris farley has so many different like he could be over the top angry and just yelling or he could just play that like little innocent like idiot i think he actually plays i mean in the news right now he plays rudy giuliani's son i believe because i guess he just won mayor in new york so i guess the kid was jumping around that's what they're spoofing he does that in one of the skits but obviously chris farley's best skit best character he's ever created is inspirational speaker Matt Foley, who lives in a van down by the river. I'm 35 years old, I am divorced, and I live in a van down by the river. Living on a nice diet of government cheese, and he shows up at his parents' house. The kids are played by David Spade. I think it was Christina Applegate. Phil Hartman plays their dad. And, you know, he's there to basically make him stop smoking weed. He's like, <laughs> pull him upstairs. He's always fixing his belt. And they're like, oh, yeah, he's been downstairs drinking coffee for hours. And he comes up to the kid. He's like, we're going to be buddies. We're going to be pals. Your father tells me that you guys have been using your papers not for writing, but for rolling doobies. <laughs> and he just keeps bringing up the fact that he's sick and tired of living in a van down by the river so that's probably the legacy that he leaves behind along with Tommy Boy which is one of the greatest comedies of all time I absolutely love Chris Farley I had that DVD back in the day that had all of his best skits on it you know that also includes Schwipp's Gay which is the spoofing the beer commercials from the early 90s him and Adam Sandler at a pool party but they're a couple of gay guys so they're just looking at all the men they're getting blown away by him doing all the same stuff you would see in a regular beer commercial just thought that was a fantastic spoof I mean, it had it all, and Chris Farley is just so missed. He passed away so young in 1997, and substance abuse really is, it's a struggle, and I understand that. It's just sad. We lost, we really did lose a great one in Chris Farley. A friend of mine told me that when he read that, he cried that day, and I understand why. I was too young to appreciate that. I didn't really, I knew of Chris Farley I actually really knew him from Billy Madison in 1997. I didn't know him from, you know, SNL or anything like that. I just knew him as the bus driver from Billy Madison. And, you know, I'll turn this damn bus around and that'll be the end of your precious little field trip. (laughs) Man, what a legend, huh? So that's another great question, Kevin. Thank you so much. I love talking Chris Farley. 
And then he asks you, what are, what is the best and worst movies from the following actors? And first up is Ben Stiller. And I still think Ben Stiller's best performance. He's not the star. He's the co-lead in it in the movie Dodgeball. He is fantastic in this film going up against Vince Vaughn. He's overacting. He's basically taking his heavyweight characters, turning it up to 11. He's obsessed with fitness, but he used to be a big fat guy. So he still has that love for food. And that scene where he's putting the piece of pizza down his pants and getting off on it. What? You have to knock first because you can't bother me on my alone time. I just love how he's talking. I mean, he's t totally playing this character over the top, ridiculous. You want to hate him, but he's too freaking funny. Nobody makes me believe my own blood. Nobody. And then probably his worst film is a sequel to Meet the Parents. Not Meet the Fockers. Because I still think that one's pretty good, but Little Fockers. I just think they went too far for that movie. It, it was very disappointing. I've only seen it the one time, and I remember just not liking it. I was really excited for Meet the Fockers when that came out. I remember I actually saw that in theaters a few times. So I was like, oh, Little Fockers, what a great idea. Well, not a good idea. Not a good idea at all. Do not watch Little Fockers. If you've managed to avoid it to this point, congratulations. You are a winner. Do not see Little Fockers. I promise you, you'll be upset. Jack Nicholson. Ah, well, you're one of my top five favorite actors of all time, Jack Nicholson. I absolutely love the guy. I already answered a question how I'd want to be him. So Jack Nicholson, his best performance, in my opinion, is Chinatown. That is his career best performance. He's in every single scene in the movie. He's acting his ass off. He plays this arrogant guy who's really feeling himself as this private eye. And he takes on a case that he thinks is going to be very open and shut like the rest of his cases. And it's got so many different layers to it. And I think Chinatown is the best noir film ever made the movie starts in one place who thought a movie dealing with water could end the way it ends a movie that's still getting talked about to this very day they even has a joke in inside out a kids movie made by pixar has a chinatown joke if you can believe it and i just i love chinatown now i don't really have a jack nicholson performance that i hate so i'll go to a movie that really disappointed me and i'm gonna go with as good as it gets that's a james l brooks movie actually won jack nicholson his final academy award uh, he's good in it. Like I said, Jack Nicholson's great. I just think that that movie is incredibly overrated in comparison to the other James L. Brooks movies that also feature Jack Nicholson. Terms of Endearing, also won him an Academy Award. And Broadcast News, I think those movies are ten times better than As Good As It Gets. As Good As It Gets, I just don't find it that good. I rewatched it two years ago. It's actually another one of the reasons I didn't get the Columbia Classics Volume 3 set because I feel like I don't ever need to see that movie again. Jack Nicholson's good in it. Helen Hunt is good in it. It's got a good story, but I just feel like it's a story we've seen a million times. You know, an asshole who needs to learn his lesson and appreciate the people that he has around him and stop being such a dick to everybody. And I think that's the moral of the story, and I just don't think that movie is that great. So I'm, I'm going to go with that one. But if you want me to pick an acting performance that I thought he didn't do a great job in, his accent in Hoffa, it's a little shaky as best, but I actually kind of like the movie Hoffa, so that's why I didn't pick that one. And next up, you got Seth Rogen, which is really hard to pick for me. Seth Rogen, like, really started to take off and get really big and famous when I was in high school, so of course I loved his humor. Somebody who was, especially back in high school, a big fan of smoking some weed and just enjoying it. I still like to dabble in it. I live in a state that it's legal for recreational use, so I'm not breaking any laws by smoking any weed. So as somebody who's a fan of it, Pineapple Express is obviously my favorite film from Seth Rogen. That movie is just great. You get some great performances in there. Him and James Franco have incredible chemistry. Danny McBride, that's the first time I ever saw Danny McBride. You know, in like a big role. He obviously had some small roles here and there. That's how most of these comedians come up. But this is the first time I thought this guy is just fucking hysterical. Uh, Rosie Perez pops up in this movie and she does a great job. 
I just think that this is a great and funny movie. One of the best, if not the best, stoner comedy of all time. Bill Hader at the very beginning of this movie, when he's like, I would just like a big old stack of flapjacks and... I want to feel like a piece of melted butter on it. And I was just like, oh my God. But Seth Rogen is great in this movie. Obviously, a movie he was born to play in. I mean, many people might pick Superbad, especially since he also co-wrote that movie with Evan Goldberg. He plays one of the cops in that movie again with Bill Hader. And him and Bill Hader have great chemistry. They are by far my favorite part of Superbad. But I just feel like their roles aren't big enough to, for me to say that it's his best performance. And then my least favorite performance is 2009's Observe and Report. Came out the same year as Paul Blart's Mall Cop, one of those instances where, for some reason, Hollywood just kind of makes the same movie twice. Kind of happened along with Deep Impact and Armageddon. You know, it just it just seems to happen over and over again. That movie that came out the same year as The Prestige, I can't even remember what that movie was. But that came, it was another movie about a magician came out the exact same year as The Prestige. It seems to happen all the time. And Paul Blart Mall Cop got a sequel, and nobody ever talks about Observing Reports. So that's all you really need to know. Seth Rogen, I guess he's okay in this movie. I just found his character to be just so mean, and you couldn't root for him. You kind of were rooting against him, even though he kind of feels like he has like a mental disability. So you feel bad about that. But on the other hand, he's doing such dirty and mean stuff. There's a scene in this movie with Anna Ferris that uh, just it's just very cringeworthy. I remember leaving that theater and just being very unhappy and just kind of angry with the movie if that makes sense the movie made me mad and i have to pick that as his worst performance it did have a good ray liotta performance and i'm always happy to see ray liotta no matter what just because that's henry hill and then next up is brad pitt and i'm gonna go with the curious case of benjamin button which is i saw for the first time last year a david fincher film that i just somehow missed i don't know why but this movie it touched me for a fan of philosophical movies like me this one really got under my skin it made me feel things which i always appreciate feeling things I am having, this is crazy, but I'm having feelings again. Like like some kind of 14-year-old kid or something. I mean, you remember feelings, right? I love that Brad Pitt was the perfect choice for this. I get that this might not be the most flashier performances that people might say about Brad Pitt because he's had plenty of those throughout his career. But I really love him in this movie. He's reserved, playing this character, aging in reverse. I know this movie isn't as beloved as I think it should be. I mean, I came to it really late. I wrote it off for no good reason. I don't know why it actually slipped by me. I was a big David Fincher fan, but I guess we all have those holes in our film-watching history. And that was a big one for me that I was really glad to fill. So that movie is definitely my favorite. I could have gone with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but I know they won the Academy Award for that. I still feel like Leonardo DiCaprio gave a better performance, if that makes sense. But Leonardo always seems to get overlooked in these kinds of movies. I feel like people just want to give Brad Pitt the Academy Award. He absolutely deserves it because Brad Pitt does get a bad rep just because he looks good, but people really shouldn't sell this guy short. He is a phenomenal actor. Look at it from the very beginning with movies like Thelma and Louise, and I even say Cool World he was pretty good in, in my opinion, but he was always a great actor, and it's very rare you see him turn out a bad performance, but I'll, t- I'll pick a performance where I felt like he phoned it in, and that was Mr. and Mrs. Smith. That's where he acted against his future wife, the woman he was cheating on Jennifer Addison with in whatever year that came out I want to say like 2004 and I just feel like him and Angelina Jolie kind of phoned that performance in like a true lies knockoff kind of movie I like the concept I always like that where people have hidden lives that get exposed it could be a lot of fun I remember seeing that movie in the theaters with my mom and my brother but I looking back on it and re-watching it recently 
just not that great, and it just feels like Brad Pitt was just going through the motions, which is weird for him because I feel like he doesn't do that. And then next up, we got Matt Damon, and I have to go with The Departed. And the reason I think that's the best performance he ever gave is because you hate Matt Damon in that movie. Him and Leonardo DiCaprio are the opposite. Leonardo DiCaprio is a cop who's going undercover in the mob, whereas Matt Damon is undercover in the police department while working for the mob underneath Jack Nicholson. But Matt Damon is trying to get ahead no matter who he has to screw over, whether it's Jack Nicholson Nicholson or what it doesn't matter he's just a piece of shit human being and at the very end when he finally gets his comeuppance thanks to Mark Wahlberg and those silly shoes that's it you were hoping that would happen but you couldn't get that unless you had a great Matt Damon performance it really is something when you can play it's the swarmy disgusting villain who's only doing something for himself but yet somehow you can relate to him Matt Damon definitely always brings that to his villainous performances you saw that for the first time with the talented Mr. Ripley and I think he's perfectly cast this movie. And he can play just so many different roles, Matt Damon. You know, he could play in films like the Bourne series where he plays an action star. He could play those dramatic roles. Like in movies like Ford vs. Ferrari or even very recently in Oppenheimer. I mean, this guy has just got like a third act of his career. The Last Duel where he's a co-writing the movie with his probably most famous writing partner of all time and best friend and Ben Affleck. The two of them I could have easily picked Good Will Hunting, but... I really think that the part was his best performance that he'd ever given. And then I think his least best performance has to go to The Great Wall. I think he's miscast in that movie. And I just found that movie to be a sludge to get through. So, you know, Matt Dillon... Um, Matt Dillon. Matt Damon doesn't really have too many misses. He's got a few in there, obviously. He's not really bulletproof or anything like that like downsizing is another one that movie Steelwater that came out last year isn't really a very popular movie as well so it's not like he hasn't missed but they are rare and few between and then next up we got Daniel Day-Lewis who I said last week was the greatest actor of all time and I had a long talk this week with David aka Shamrock Balls and he actually might have swayed me with his arguments but they were so convincing in their argument they swung me you know, Daniel Day-Lewis doesn't really take too many risks in his career. He's never done a horror film. He's never done a comedy. He really just stays in his lane. And obviously, dramas are more appreciated than comedies and horror films. And a person like me who said that comedies are very underrated, especially from an acting standpoint, it kind of makes me look like a hypocrite a little bit. And I kind of agree with him in the sense that maybe Daniel Day-Lewis is just the best dramatic actor of all time. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he just falls into his roles. He doesn't give too many interviews and you never really get to see him out of character so you kind of just see Daniel Day-Lewis and the characters he plays and I think that's why I've always rated him so high like I said Tom Hanks is my favorite actor of all time but Tom Hanks has a bunch of misses same thing like you know I wanted to say like Robert De Niro but Robert De Niro has a lot of those comedies that he's done in the last like 10 to 15 years and I don't think that should really weigh down his career I think that's awesome that an actor is always working and they don't really pick and choose their roles like that much like Daniel Day-Lewis will only do like a couple roles every few years he's retired ever since with movies like Phantom Thread and I think his best performance that he ever gave was in There Will Be Blood from 2007 and that movie is a masterpiece honestly I'm a huge fan of Paul Thomas Anderson and There Will Be Blood is probably his second best film I love Boogie Nights Boogie Nights for me is a 10 out of 10 movie but There Will Be Blood is not that far behind it it just gets overshadowed in my own personal film watching history by No Country for Old Men which actually won best picture that year over There Will Be Blood well deserved in my opinion but that doesn't take anything away from Daniel Day-Lewis in that movie Daniel Day-Lewis has a career of great performances Academy Award-winning performances at that, and I still think There Will Be Blood is his best. And it's really hard for me to find a bad performance of the films that I've seen from him, because I haven't seen every single one. I haven't seen In the Name of the Father. I'm going to fix that, but I have to still see that. So I'm going to pick 
Gandhi. Many people not, might not even realize he was in 1982's Gandhi, directed by Richard Attenborough. But he was. He has a very small role in it. It's not a memorable role. So I'm going to say that's his worst performance just because he really doesn't do much in it. And next up, we got Philip Seymour Hoffman, another great actor that doesn't really have too many bad roles. So his best performance, it's really hard. But for me, I'm going to go with Schenectady, New York, directed by Charlie Kaufman. Love that movie. I'll do a review of that 4K one day here on the channel if you guys want it. I think he's phenomenal in that movie. Right behind that, though, I would have to say The Master, another Paul Thomas Anderson movie. I, again, love that movie. He plays a cult leader. I think this is actually really commenting on Scientology and their leader. So that's what this movie is really leading into, and he is perfectly cast in that movie. And he didn't even win his Academy Award for one of those two movies, but I still think that's his best performances. I don't think he's given a bad performance. You could say, like, he gives those silly performances in movies like Twister and Along Came Polly. So I guess those would be his worst performances. But even in movies like Nobody's Fool from 1994, where he has a really small part in it, he still turns out a great performance in that movie, even if it's just a very small role. And he's not, like, you know commanding the screen like he would once we get to like the 2000s but he's still great in it i mean again talking about the talented mr ripley that movie doesn't work without philip seymour hoffman so it's really hard for me to say that there's a bad philip seymour hoffman performance that i've seen some movies might be less than others but i really still think that philip seymour hoffman is one of the greatest actors that we've ever had and it's a tragedy we lost him at such a young age because he was still at the time of his death firing on all cylinders so if i have to pick one i guess i'll go with a long came poly just because you know he doesn't really do comedy too much but i gotta admit he i laughed my ass off at this guy playing basketball and going rain dance i still do that every time i play basketball mainly because i'm really horrible at basketball and kevin l also asked us one more question but we're actually going to save that question for next week because there's some comedies from 1955 I want to actually do my research on in 1965, but I don't really have too much awareness of old comedies as far as, like, anything before, like, 1970. Ah, uh, that's not true. Mad, 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 Mad World came out in the 60s, so there are some comedies from then. I guess you could say that Dr. Strangelove is a comedy, and I actually really think that movie's hysterical. George C. Scott and... Peter Weller's make me absolutely laugh in that movie. So I think I'm going to wait till next week, Kevin, to answer that question. So if you want to send in one last question next week, I completely understand. I will answer that question next week because I want to actually answer it correctly and, you know, do my research. I want to really... When I answer these questions, I like to put as much effort as I possibly can into them. I don't want to half-ass them. So I want to make sure that if I'm going to answer that, I actually enjoy those movies and I'm not just reading from a list. So I'm going to go do my research this week and I will answer that question next week. And I want to thank all of you guys who sent in questions this week. And just thank all of you guys for watching this week's show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And if you did and you're watching this on YouTube, don't forget to hit that like button and subscribe button. If you're listening to this on all podcast forums... Come over to YouTube, hit the like and subscribe button. And if you're watching on YouTube, head over to the podcast. Maybe give us a like there, give us a five-star rating. That way you can just listen on the go. Whatever you guys want to do, make sure you guys are leaving questions for next week's show, whether it be on this video or you can wait till the Wednesday post. I'll always send it out every single Wednesday, asking for your questions and comments for Let's Talk Physical Media. But again, guys, seriously, thank you all so much for being here with me. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I'll be seeing you guys around. (laughs) 